for Times Radio in collaboration with the Audio Content Fund. This is Heartlands. Young people telling new stories about life in our hometowns, asking what work in the shadow of heavy industry looks like in Britain today. That's the thing, isn't it? There's plenty of jobs. There's not actually a lot of good paying jobs. So you're on a zero hours contract. You, you don't know when you're going to be needed for work, so you can't have as many hobbies. I'm Macy. I'm 17 years old and I live in Swansea. I've lived here all my life and I've loved growing up here. This is the sound of the marina in Swansea, which used to be home to Swansea docks. In the mid-19th century, the port was exporting 60% of the world's copper from factories situated in the Towie Valley. The dock closed in 1971, and now Swansea's home to some of the most deprived neighbourhoods in the country and the highest rates of drug-related deaths in England and Wales. Where my brother hangs out. Uh, where one of his 14-year-old friends Mm. got stabbed. Things got so bad last summer that riots broke out near where I live. And when they went out, they let loose, so they're kicking everything they see and smashing things. Cars were burnt out and windows were smashed, and 37 people got arrested. I wanted to find out how Swansea absorbed the loss of heavy industry and whether there's anything that may be done to reclaim the community pride that disappeared along with it. It was a lovely town. Mm. It was a town. It was Swansea town. Beautiful. That's my nan, Mo. She also grew up here. So how long have you lived in Swansea? Eight years. Well, I was a war baby. And she has fond memories of growing up in Swansea. We had the Castle Gardens, where you could go on a Sunday... Beautiful when it had all the trees and you could go and sit in there and it was lovely. But she gets pretty down when talking about the state of Swansea now. There's a story she always tells that sums up for her what's wrong with Swansea. Yeah, well, I was in the market shopping and the market is the centre of Swansea. I was doing a bit of shopping there and when I came outside, I said, Excuse me, love, where is the town centre? And of course, I, I said, This is the town centre. She said, oh, my God, she said, what a shit all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know what I said. I tell you what, love, I said, if you want to see something nice, go to Cardiff. So I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I, was, I was ashamed for the lady to say that to me when it was such a lovely place. I think the most significant change to Swansea has been that it has de-industrialised, meaning the nature of work has changed a lot. One of the biggest problems that my nan now identifies in Swansea is how difficult it is for young people to get a stable job. Her experience was very different. Um, And did you work when you were younger? Straight away when I left school. A waitress. In a fish and chip shop in the Windsor Cafe. How did you get that job? I just went in and asked him if there were any vacancies. And he said, "Um, come out the back and we'll have a word. No interview, just a quick word. And we sat like this on a table, and he said, when can you start? I said, Monday, fine, no problem. I was there Monday, 8 o'clock, and I had the job. And I stayed there for 10 years. And then when I did finish there, I came out to that. I thought, I'll try retail. I came out to then on a Friday. I went Saturday, got a job in Leslie Stores, a retail shop, started straight away the same day. He said, are you available now? I can start now. What did your family do for work? My father used to unload the ships. I'm not sure what I'd want to do when I leave school, but I know that I'd love to stay in Swansea. 
and I worry about whether there are enough good jobs here. My nan's family worked in heavy industry for generations, working in the docks. And the way my nan talks about it makes it sound like these were great jobs that made people happy. It was hard going, yes. But mm. they loved it. They'd been working four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Come home at six, go out for a pint, and that's it then. Yeah. Ready for the next morning. I wanted to find out if there was a link between Swansea's recent decline and the loss of heavy industry. So welcome to the Waterfront Museum in Swansea. I wanted to meet someone that could tell me about the history of the town and how it's changed. Uh, my name's Ian Smith and my senior curator for modern and contemporary industry. Ian agreed to show me around the museum and talk to me about its history. When did Swansea first become notable in terms of Welsh industry? It's sort of 17, the late 1700s, second half of the 1700s. I wanted um, to know what it was actually like working in industrial conditions. So what he just said then was really, really pertinent. Yeah. He said there was 18,000 workers there when he went there. And there's only 4,000 now. Yeah. Uh, but the tonnage is, is like tripled because it's all automation, whereas yeah. they were having people handling things. You know, they got new cranes, new, new hydraulics and things like that. Before the introduction of modern technology, Finding jobs in Swansea was easy, according to Ian. Industry was booming and unemployment was non-existent. If you wanted a job, you could get a job. Very easily, yeah. It, was, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't difficult. When I left school, I applied for four jobs and I was offered the four jobs. Right. So it was, it was, it was a, you know, an easy market to get a job in those days. However, whilst it might have been easier to get a job leaving school, Ian disagrees with the idea that these jobs were somehow better. I grew up uh, doing heavy industry, working in heavy industry, and it wasn't nice. You know, it was hard work. Um, you'd go home after, after the end of the day, you'd be exhausted, you know, and you'd have three or four pints maybe at lunchtime because you were so thirsty. Right. And then go back to work. And, and that, that, was, that, was, that was the way it was. You know, we'd, we'd, go, we'd, we'd start work at eight, yeah. we'd have... Uh, Break at ten. We'd have a big fry up, big breakfast. Right, okay. One o'clock, we'd all go to the pub, and then, then you know, go home, and you'd be exhausted. Whilst the old work of heavy industry sounds like tough and incredibly thirsty work, the security of these jobs seem very attractive. I do the tree surgery. Yeah, tree surgery is just it's just fun. It's you know, you get to climb trees, cut them down. This is my friend Ben. Ben is 18 years old. He's already had more jobs than my nan did in her whole life. Being a, a bricklayer, um, well, apprentice bricklayer. I worked in Bridgend as a uh, apprentice vehicle technician. Uh, I found that really fun. Ultimately, I got sacked. They called me out and just fired me on the spot. Didn't they, they? they didn't even give me a chance to explain or anything like that. They just said, you're gone. You might be shocked by the abrupt nature of how Ben lost his job. But this is typical in an economic climate that is wildly different to the one my nan grew up in. Most people Ben's age would have already started a job that they would probably keep for the rest of their lives. My name is Jaden. I'm 17 now. Jaden is another close friend of mine. I was born in Swansea. I, I left school at halfway through year nine. That means Jaden never had the chance to get any GCSEs, and that made it hard for him to work. I think if anything, if you're looking at different people, you'd obviously someone would most likely go for a person with the higher grades. I mean, I was. Yeah. 
After struggling to find any job opportunities, he's trying to start his own business instead. I'm mostly focused on being a personal trainer. At the moment, I'm quite into my fitness. It's well known amongst our group that Swansea only has a select few jobs on offer. What do you kind of think the main jobs in Swansea are? What you see people doing? Well, bricklaying, a lot of a lot of construction, yeah, a lot of different stuff like that, a lot of trades. No one either that or, I guess, hairdressing or beauty. Um, no one really does anything other than that. I asked Ben the same question. I don't think there's many opportunities anymore. Um, but obviously, you know, there are warehouse jobs. Mm-hmm. You can work in a warehouse. There's good money in there. Speaking with Ben and Jaden was tough because it confirmed my worries about job opportunities for young people in Swansea. I wanted to speak to a local politician to hear their perspective on the town. Oh, I just love Swansea. It's in me. I think if I, would, if I was to stick a rock and you cut me in half, it would have Swansea <laughs> running through it. As soon as, as, soon as I'm, I'm on the M4 and I see the DVLA, actually, it's the first thing that you notice. I should come on the M4, big white building. And I think I'm home now. It just makes me, makes me smile. That's Carolyn Harris, the MP for Swansea East. My side of the town, there's a lot of social housing. There's quite a lot of retired people or people on low income or two or three zero hour jobs. You know, there's, there's not big money in my constituency, believe you me. I wanted to see what Carolyn thought about what my nan had said about Swansea being better in the old days. I think it's a, it's a, it's nostalgia, isn't it? I mean, we all think that the good old days are better than where we are now. It's better now in the terms of there's better health care and there's better education and there's better transport. Um, all that is, is, is brilliant. But in terms of community spirit, we may have lost some of that. Carolyn mentioned healthcare, transport and education all having improved in Swansea since my nan was young. But I wanted to know what she thought about jobs and what kind of jobs are on offer in her constituency. I've got the working class jobs here. I've got the ones where people who are, who are going to work to earn a living to live jobs. The Gower and Swansea West may have people who are going to work to earn money to put in the bank jobs. There's not many of those jobs in my constituency. A lot of people will work in the supermarkets. We haven't had the best reputation for good jobs, things now. There's plenty of jobs. There's not actually a lot of good paying jobs. Camo people doing maybe two or three zero hour jobs. There's not fancy there's not many fancy jobs at the moment. I suppose we've got a big insurance call centre, Admiral Insurance. So yes. quite a few of the younger people work there. I think predominantly people now are working in shops um, and we did have a big virgin call centre at one point with doing the maintenance on the telephones and the TV, but that's gone now. I don't feel that excited about the kind of job prospects Carolyn is describing. For me, as a 17-year-old, this feels a bit bleak. So what would be a good job in Carolyn's eyes? Security, I think... Good working conditions, security, good good conditions of service, um, respect. Respect is massively important. You know, if you go to work and you're fearful of your boss or you are intimidated or you feel pressurised, then that's not a healthy environment. We have to make people, we, we need to make people feel as if they're, they're 
appreciated. What Carolyn said about lots of her constituents working zero-hour jobs really resonated with me. When I worked in hospitality, one of the things I found hardest was not knowing how many hours I would get. I mean, I, I don't like zero-hour contract jobs because I, I firmly believe that someone's going to work, they need to know how much they're going to have at the end of the week or the end of the month so they can pay their bills. Nobody goes, I mean, very few people go to work just because they want to gather money. They go to work because they need the money, even MPs. I, I, I love my job, but... I also need to work financially. I'm not in a position where I haven't got, I can't afford to work. I couldn't work in a job that I didn't know for a fact I was going to have a certain set wage at the end of every month because I'm the only one in my house who works. But I know that money's coming in, so I know I can afford to pay my electricity, my gas, the car tax, etc., etc. When you haven't got that stability, it's very, very difficult. You can't plan. More and more young people and families are being put in a position where they don't have that kind of stability. I wondered whether this was contributing to the social issues that my nan talked about. I wanted to speak to someone who'd researched the effect of instability in modern work. Amelia Horgan is an academic and author of Lost in Work, published last year. Yeah, so Lost in Work is a book about what work is, what effects it might have. So they might be psychological, physiological, environmental, and so on that work has on individual people, on individual workers, but also on society and on the planet. I wanted to ask Amelia what kind of social pitfalls had emerged with the loss of industry. I think the breakup of industry and the rise of very precarious work in its place, and the birth of a kind of more competitive society, but in that a deepening belief that everyone is the master of their own destiny is, is a really important shift. Um, so if you're not doing well, it's your own fault, right? This isn't to say that, that work in um, industry doesn't come without like mental harms or, or physiological harms, because it does, but there are particular problems and stresses that come from the kind of work that tends to replace industrial work. So thinking about like the service sector, logistics, warehouse work, kind of food preparation jobs. And, and these jobs are often linked to poor working conditions and poor outcomes. And during the pandemic, quite, quite significant exposure to, to risk. I was on a zero hour contract. It was very difficult, I found, to plan in regards to when I was doing schoolwork to when I was doing actual work. And it was one week I'd be working three days, one week I'd be working one day, one week I'd be working in the day, and one week I'd be working in the night. So you're on a zero hours contract. You you don't know when you're going to be needed for work. So you can't have as many hobbies. You can't get involved in volunteering. You can't get involved in your community, right? Because you can't say to the place you want to volunteer, oh, I'll be there every Saturday, because you don't know, right? This reminds me of what Carolyn said about how Swansea has lost some of the community spirit it used to have. That power to schedule is a power that your manager or your boss might have over you. So if you you want to make sure that you say you've got like caring responsibilities or as you had school, schoolwork, you've got to be you've got to make sure you stay on the right side of of your boss or your manager to make sure you get those shifts right and there's a real possibility for abuse of power in that situation. It's clear to see that formal working contracts are becoming harder to find not just in Swansea but in other former industrial areas around Britain too so how can we get better jobs? People want better jobs right no one's like give me worse jobs but who is it that can make 
jobs better. And we don't have anyone who can wave a magic wand and say, there we go, there are the better jobs, right? Instead, we have this sort of ongoing struggle by trade unions, by workers in the workplaces to change the existing jobs and make kind of lift the tide for everyone. Um, so I think the one really, really important aspect of all of this is revitalizing trade unions, um, getting them to build up density in sectors where they haven't been before as much, as well as those ones where they have historic density. Amelia's solution of joining a trade union is something I'd never thought about. No one I know is part of a trade union, and I'm not really sure what they do, who they protect, or how they operate in this day and age. My name's uh, Dave Turnbull, and I am the National Officer in Unite the Union with responsibility for the hospitality sector. Can you explain to me exactly what a trade union does? A trade union, I, I think the, the way to explain it in terms that people might understand in the 21st century is a bit like crowdfunding. So every, everybody makes a little bit of a contribution towards a trade union and that results in us having sufficient resources and money to uh, be on an equal footing to employers. So, so everybody who's a member of a union makes a contribution and that creates a fund through which we can organise and represent workers. Quite often, a young person's first job is in hospitality, just like me. I asked Dave why they believe it's important to fight for young workers' rights. So we, we hear a lot from the employers about the importance of hospitality as an entry-level job. So, so they, they go really big on the fact that um, students, school leavers, etc., quite often get their first experience in hospitality. But if their first experience is the worst experience of their life, nobody's going to want to work in the industry. So every, every, every time I meet somebody, they say, oh, I once worked in hospitality and I had a really bad experience. Yeah. So that, that's not right. From my experience and the experience of my friends, zero-hour contracts seem to be a big problem, especially for young people. What's Unite's view on them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think our view is that zero-hour contracts um, really are not appropriate in this industry. There is always enough work to go around. There is currently a huge staffing and skill shortage in the industry. So it's it's really um, a bit dishonest for employers to say they need to employ people on zero hours. So our our, de- our demand really is that people should have a guaranteed minimum hours, that they should get at least two weeks notice of their shift pattern. And um, if as a consequence they get extra hours, that's an added bonus, but they should have that minimum guarantee that they can say, well, I know this week I'm getting 12 hours or 16 hours. Regardless of what happens, I will get those hours. The idea of getting a guaranteed set of hours would have been a big comfort to me when I was working. It would also help with a lot of the problems that people living off zero-hour contracts face. You can't plan. It's very rare you can do anything out of the ordinary. Carolyn Harris, Swansea East's MP. And it doesn't give you the courage to be adventurous and to try to do something new, like get a better job, because you are in a position where financially you need to know that you've got money coming in to be able to survive. 
to eat and to feed your, feed your kids and whatever. So, yeah, I do worry about people who haven't got it. And I'm not saying everybody should be salaried, that's silly, but, you know, everybody needs to know what they're earning and they need to be guaranteed to earn that money. I wanted to know Dave's advice for what Unite recommended if someone is being mistreated in their job. I, I, I think our, our advice is always that don't feel isolated. Everything always comes down to the best response is a collective response. So if somebody in a restaurant is feeling harassed, bullied, victimised, then you can guarantee that other staff are feeling the same way. So I, I think what we try to encourage people is to have a conversation with their colleagues, to work then with a, a union officer or an organiser to look at how do you raise this collectively with the employer rather than feeling your only option is is got is got to be to leave. You shouldn't expect bad treatment. You should expect better treatment and you should fight for it. It was really interesting hearing about unions and it's definitely something I'd lock into for my next job. What really appeals to me about unions is the sense of community it provides. Something that I haven't experienced much in my life. I think the isolated nature of modern work has really contributed to a loss of community in all aspects of life. On a Sunday, you'd all do dinner, Sunday roast dinners, it was always a roast dinner. And know the cooking fat you've done roasties in, the neighbour next door, can I borrow the cooking fat? You give her the pan and she'd do it, and it would go around the street, all sharing, lovely community, all friendly. I think from my view now, we live in more of an individualistic society, whereas then it was more collectivistic, so it, you got each other through things, and I think that's why people were a lot happier, they, they were able to help each other, whereas now you work for yourself, and it's about making yourself better. I'm the oldest neighbour living round here now, all these now, weren't you when I came here 50 years ago? And we just don't communicate. You don't it's go very, up the seat. It's very strange because I wouldn't know what it's like to have that neighbour kind of community-like vibe and stuff because I never had that, Look, you know? like that was Not in your time, I no. never had either. So it's a lot's changed. We never knocked doors and we never locked them. Yeah. We'd walk in houses doors would be open all night my brothers would be out half the night door would be open for them I think what my nan misses most about the past is the sense of community as Swansea's heavy industries declined we've not only seen jobs disappear but also the breakdown of social institutions neighbourhoods and communities in 2022 it's hard to imagine how this sense of camaraderie might be rediscovered but in the UK Trade unionism and work activism have seen a resurgence over the past two years. This is partly down to job insecurity caused by lockdowns and COVID. In 2020, union membership in the UK rose by over 100,000 people to 6.6 million, which was the fourth year in a row that it increased. The pandemic seems to have strengthened labour movements, not just in Britain, but around the world too. My hope for the future is the resurgence of unions might not only help to improve work practices, but also extend outwards and create stronger communities and neighbourhoods. Thank you for listening to Heartlands. This documentary was presented by me, Macy Hughes, 
and produced by Ben Tello and Hunter Charlton with help from Arlie Adlington, Anna Budd and Guy Gardner. Heartlands is a Times radio series brought to you by the Audio Content Fund.